0: Did you just
1: pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply.
0: Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Hey, this is Annie and Samantha, and welcome to Stephon Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. And this week, you are getting a, a classic on an off day, a non-classic day, <laughs> uh, because we have a spoiled Saturdays coming up this week. Yes. Yes. Wah-ha. And it is, I was like, I won't tell them what it is, but because of this classic, you know what it is. Um, <laughs> it is Scream 6. Um, we are talking about Scream 6, and we might be embarking on a whole Scream journey. So wait to listen out for more about that. Uh, I'm very excited. And I was telling Samantha, because this classic is about the 2022 Scream 5. It's usually just called Scream, but it's Scream 5. <laughs> I was telling Samantha about how fun I had revisiting these. Like, I get nervous for some reason um, when I engage with something I love. Either I won't love it as much, or sometimes I just get like, I know it's gonna get me so excited. and It's an energy thing. Like, I, mean, I don't know if I'm in a place where I can get that excited. <laughs> um, and sometimes I don't. I just get sad about about things I love. I'm not sure. Oh. Um, <laughs> I don't, it's, it's an odd behavior that I have, but I had a blast <laughs> revisiting this. I love that. I had such a good time. So I hope you listeners, even if you don't, if this isn't your thing, you'll at least enjoy how excited I am <laughs> <laughs> in, in our conversation as always. But yes, in preparation for Scream 6, we thought we would bring back our episode we did about Scream 5. Please enjoy. Hey, this is Annie and Samantha, and welcome to Stuff i Never Told, you, a production of iHeartRadio. And it's time for another Feminist Movie Friday. I am so excited about this one. This one's very indulgent, I'll admit. It. This one is something that I really wanted to do. uh, Because today we're going to be doing a comparison of the 1996 Scream, the original Scream, and the newest Scream, Scream, 2022, or Scream 5. Although it's pretty considered also Scream, uh, confusingly enough. Uh, But there will be spoilers for that, and there will be spoilers for all five. I'm just going to tell you right now. So if you want to wait, I know the newest Scream just came out on streaming... Go check it out and then come back because got a lot of thoughts, got a lot of thoughts about it. Oh, she does. And I mean, like
1: the day she watched it, I was getting texts like, oh, my God, it's these things and (laughs) these things. And I can't wait for you to watch it. So I definitely had to watch this with her, the newest scream. Actually, Mm -hmm. I watched the third one with you as well, because I just never got into it. And you're like, but, but. And so we had to watch that as well.
0: Yes, the only one we're mystic is for, and I'll get you one day, Samantha. I'll get you one day. Uh, Yeah, and we are going to be talking about death and sexual assault and violence. Nothing too graphic, but that's kind of what is going on in these movies. Also, Samantha, are you impressed? I kept the outline short. I
1: I assumed you did this in in the idea that when we start talking about it, it's going
0: to (laughs) double. If not triple. Samantha gave me very strict instructions and I did yes. my best to follow them about the link.
1: I was so. like, look, we're going to do this and I'm excited for you to do this. But if you don't, I'm going to take these other things away from you and I'm going to do it for you <laughs> and condense
0: <laughs> it. This is our, our work relationship. <laughs> yeah, essentially. Balance each other out. It's perfect. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, see our past episodes on Final Girls, Survival Horror, um, Why Didn't You Believe Her? And especially Scream Queens, which, right. as Samantha properly commented on in that episode, was kind of a Trojan horse for me to get to talk about Sidney yes. Prescott, who is yes, the protagonist. I, <laughs> I was tricked. It wasn't a trick. I just, I, I, got, I went wild, Samantha. I couldn't stop. <laughs> this is one
1: of those like, I'll take this and you take these two and I'll take the majority of it because I know what these two will do to
0: the outline. <laughs> 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 yeah, I'll, I have a lot of feels about Sydney Prescott. Oh, yeah. I love her so much. So many feels. Yes, and we are going to talk about some of that, even though, yes, I really did go on and on about it in our Scream Queens episode. So definitely listen to that one as kind of a companion to this one. Also, I know there are some really terrible people associated with some of these, uh, and we are going to talk about that. I did talk about it in the Scream Queens episode, Especially about how I think Scream 3, and me and others, think Scream 3 is about Harvey Weinstein, um, who is listed as an executive producer for the first four. So, we will talk about that. But first, let's, let's break down the plot, starting with the original Scream, which was a 1996 meta-slasher comedy movie... Directed by Wes Craven and written by Kevin Williamson. It stars Nev Campbell as high schooler and final girl, Sydney Prescott. Courtney Cox as news anchor, Gail Weathers. And yes, the names are excellent in this movie. They are so (laughs) funny. David Arquette as deputy Dwight Dewey Riley. Rose McGowan as his sister, Tatum, um, also Sydney's best friend. Jamie Kennedy as movie lover, Randy Meeks. Matthew Lillard as Tatum's boyfriend and killer, Stu Mocker, Skeet Ulrich as Sydney's boyfriend and also killer, Billy Loomis and Drew Barrymore as Casey Becker, um, and it is very, very 90s. It is so very 90s. <laughs> I mean, it was coming off the height of
1: uh, Party of Five, uh, yes. so Nev Campbell was already a big 90s star, mm-hmm. well, and I guess around The Craft too. So, like, this is this is her moment to shine.
0: Yes, and shine she did. I say, <laughs> um, Sydney Prescott uh, Campbell's character is a high schooler at Woodsboro High, whose mother Maureen has been. And violently raped and murdered a year before the movie starts sydney testified at the trial and the murderer was determined to be cotton weary played by Lev schreiber um, a man her mother had been cheating with it was a highly publicized trial that caught nationwide attention and many victim blamed her mom calling her a slut basically she deserved it she brought it on herself after two of Sydney's peers are murdered by a killer in a ghostface mask, including Drew Barrymore, in a very graphic opening scene, which introduced the famous "What's your favorite scary movie?" line, uh, a curfew is introduced, and gossip and finger pointing goes rampant. Everybody's a suspect, uh, with many thinking that Sydney's snapped on the anniversary of her mother's death. Meanwhile. You've got her boyfriend, Billy, who is pressuring her to have sex, something Sydney is reluctant to do because of what happened to her mother and how people talk about her, like being this slut. Billy also compares his mother leaving uh, his dad and leaving town to Sydney's mother's death, which does not go over well with Sydney, if you can imagine. Sydney's father, Goes out of town, leaving her home alone when she gets a phone call that she thinks is a prank call. And this is when she quiffs about horror movies. They're all the same, some big breasted bimbo running up the stairs instead of going at the front door, it's insulting. Uh, she is attacked by the killer, who seemingly disappears just for Billy to show up. Hmm. Sydney starts to suspect it's him, who is arrested and taken in for questioning. Sydney decides to spend the night with her friend Tatum and before she goes, as she's leaving the police station, she punches a very persistent Gail Weathers in the face uh, because Weathers is critical of Sidney's testimony against Cotton Weary and believes that he was wrongfully convicted and that the killer is still out there. Uh, she wrote a tell-all book about the whole thing. While at Tatum's, Sydney gets a call from the killer, leading her to believe that Billy can't be the person who attacked her. Right. And in Gail Weather's book, she does kind
1: of perpetuate that the mom was at fault, right? That's why she really disliked her. Not at fault,
0: but like uh, she wasn't necessarily a yeah, victim. Kind of. Yeah. yeah. It, that's the reason that Sydney really 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 doesn't like it because it sort she sort of played up like oh, the, the whole rape aspect that maybe it wasn't rape and maybe they were having a consensual affair. Right. And that Sydney did not like that message.
1: <laughs> I mean, this kind of goes into, because I want to say it wasn't necessarily the beginning, but like definitely a good high point for true crime things like the things that Gail Weather was doing mm-hmm. and which we see now, not now, but we're paying attention more to the fact that, hey, the families should have a little more to say and, and we should really care about the victim's families and what they're going yeah. through. So it kind yeah. of was like meta in that
0: Yes. Even yeah, then. absolutely. We're going to talk about that, too, because uh, I got some more thoughts about that. Mm-hmm. Oh, got so many thoughts.
1: So yes. after the principal of the school is murdered, yes, everybody's just dying. School is mm-hmm. canceled. And of course, the kids decide to break curfew and throw a party at Stu's house. Because what else do you do? You know, people around <laughs> you are dying. Let's have a party. Yes. This is where Randy lays out the rules of surviving a horror movie. So, like... That will be ingrained in my mind, this scene. Mm-hmm. No sex, so don't show your tits for women, obviously, which she does. Uh oh. No <laughs> alcohol or drugs, and never say, I'll be back.
0: Never. I still have trouble saying that, actually. <laughs> and I know
1: it's ridiculous. What if I say, I'll be right back? Uh uh. <laughs> that's even worse, right? Yeah. So so. (laughs) party members start getting picked off one by one, including Tatum, who is crushed, yes, crushed by a garage door. Of course, that was also like, "Ah, ugh. another fear instilled between that and Final Destination of like all these inanimate things I'd never thought about before. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. petrified. (laughs) Meanwhile, Gail secretly put a camera in the home where the party is being held, and she and Dewey go to investigate an abandoned car they think belongs to Sydney's dad. Oh, Gail. Then comes the famous act three. Sydney has sex with Billy, and then Randy and Dewey get stabbed. Uh, then Gail's in a car crash, and then Sydney discovers that Billy and Stu are the killers, and that Sydney's mom had been having sex with Billy's dad, and that he blames that fact that that's why his mom left so he actually killed Sydney's mom uh, Stu says he just succumbed to peer pressure but you know he actually really likes it <laughs> and they reveal they have her dad tied up in the closet and are going to kill her kill him stab themselves and be the sole survivors blaming it on her dad Sydney manages to get away after they stab themselves and Gail distracts them calling them with their own voice modulator and toy with them she kills Stu and with the help of of Gail, Billy too, and Gail reports on the scene as the movie ends. Yes, literally, like she's brushing herself off, which by the way, again, we're gonna talk about this in the newer version. I'm like, they all been pretty much stabbed and shot and beaten, <laughs> and they're all, okay, we're just gonna send you home. What world is this? But anyway, whatever. <laughs>
0: Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So this movie, when it came out, was a commercial and critical success. Uh, it's credited with revitalizing the horror genre in the 1990s with its satirical tongue-in-cheek nature and witty dialogue. It created a whole legion of passionate fans and inspired four sequels on a show so far. And another movie is already in the works. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. Brief rundown of the other movies. Uh, the second one has a lot of boyfriend trauma, and one of the killers is Billy's mom. The third one is all about how Sydney's mom was sexually abused while pursuing acting in Hollywood, um, had a son, she gave up. And this son went to Billy and gave him the push to kill Maureen, uh, Sydney's mom, and is the killer in the third one. Um, and in the fourth, Sydney writes a book about her experiences, and the killers are a movie fan and Sydney's cousin uh, who wants to be the new Sydney. Yeah, that's the one I didn't watch. Yeah, I've actually like watched it twice recently now, <laughs> so I, I, it's fresh <laughs> on my mind. I got I got some thoughts about it too, which brings us to the newest one, Scream Twenty Twenty Two or Scream Five. And yes, they make fun of using the same title in the movie because. I mean, if you haven't picked up on it, these movies are so, so meta. They're so meta. Uh, So they do make fun of using the same title within them. So Scream 2022, or Scream 5, is a horror slasher comedy meta movie from, yes, 2022, directed by Matt Bettinelli-Olpin and Tyler Gillette, or Gillette? I hope I'm getting that right. And written by James Vanderbilt and Guy Busick. In addition to legacy characters Sydney, Gail, and Dewey, with Campbell, Cox, and Arquette reprising their roles, um, the movie stars Melissa Barrera as Samantha Carpenter, Jack Quaid as Richie Kirsch, Mikey Madison as Amber Freeman, Jenna Ortega as Tara Carpenter, Dylan Minnette as Wes Hicks, Jasmine Savoy Brown as Mindy Meeks-Martin, Mason Gooding as Chad Meeks-Martin, and Skeet Ulrich reprises his role as Billy Loomis. Um, And Easter eggs, because I just watched this again, too. Hayden Pantier's character Kirby from Scream 4, who was a fan favorite, uh, is revealed to be alive. Oh, she is? How did I miss that part? Because it's like a, it's there's a part where they're watching like a review of Stab Eight, and in the back there's a freeze frame of like the YouTube page, and it's like if you like this, watch also, and it has a a, a thumbnail that says Survivor Kirby whatever comes back to talk about her experience. So, yay. I always hated she died in her. <laughs> um, yes. And also, a bunch of actors from the first one provide voiceover during the party scene, including Drew Barrymore and Matthew Lillard. And Matthew Lillard is also the voice of Stab 8's killer, because they show a clip from Stab 8. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, that's great. And also director ryan johnson which we're going to talk about but that yes. kind of settles some a question i had when yes. you and i were talking about this samantha yes
1: yes does that make All you right. feel better now
0: I know i'm gonna does talk make about me it feel but better. I, yes. listeners
1: when you find out what we're talking about she was, <laughs> she was having a moment of dilemma i was
0: having a crisis <laughs> um, so the movie opens 25 years after the first one back in woodsboro High school student Tara Carpenter is attacked in her home by a killer in a ghost face mask after this killer quizzes her over the phone about STAB movie trivia. And STAB is the in-universe movies that are based on Scream. So it's like a movie series about Scream within Scream. Right. Makes sense, right? Yes. Yes. Tara survives and is hospitalized, and one of her friends contacts her estranged older sister, Sam, who is out in Modesto, California. And Sam returns to Woodsboro with her boyfriend, Richie, who seems unaware of the Woodsboro killings um, and the stab movies that are based on them. And yes, at this point, there are eight of these stab movies. At the hospital, Samantha is reunited with Tara's friend group, Amber, Wes, twins Mindy, and Chad, who are the niece and nephew of Randy Meeks, from the first three, and Chad's girlfriend, Liv. That night, Tara's friends are at a bar discussing suspects, which is like a key thing in all these movies. They have the scene where they're all like...
1: It Maybe could be you, you did it. Yeah. It could
0: be you, which is one of my favorite things of these. When, unbeknownst to them, Liv's ex-boyfriend, who also happens to be a relative of Stu Mocker, which was one of the killers from the first movie, is murdered by Ghostface. Later, Samantha's in the hospital break room taking some pills when she sees the memory of Billy Loomis hovering over her shoulder. He speaks to her a moment before Sam is attacked by Ghostface. She manages to get away and reveals to Tara the reason she changed, became distant towards Tara, and ultimately why she left is that when she was 13 and Tara was 8, Samantha discovered from her mom's diaries that she was in love with Billy Loomis the other serial killer from the first one, had an affair with him and that he was actually Sam's father. Sam confronted her mother about it and her father, who hadn't known, hears the argument and leaves. Her mother blamed Samantha for her father leaving and never treated her the same, all while Sam struggled with the fact that her father was a serial killer. Um, her hallucinations, a manifestation of her guilt and fear, she'd end up like him. Shocked and hurt, Tara angrily orders Sam to leave. Sam finds Richie outside the door and he admits he overheard the whole thing. They decide to visit an expert on ghost face killings, Dewey, who is now divorced from Gail, retired, or pretty much fired, and living in isolation. He reluctantly and grumpily gives them advice telling Sam to never trust the love interest and to look at her sister's close group of friends. After they leave, Dewey contacts Sydney, who is married to Mark, which is Patrick Dempsey from the third one. Oh, it is? You've confirmed that? Yes, it is. Okay, because at that point, we didn't know. Well, I couldn't remember his name, so I had to look it up. But yes, it is him, and they have kids together. Uh, and Dewey tells her there's another killer on the loose and stay away from Woodsboro. She's like, no offense, I'm never coming near that town again. Then Dewey texts Gail the same thing, complete with smiley face. <laughs> um, <laughs> he then goes with Sam and Richie to the Mixes' house where he is reunited with Randy's sister and Randy's niece. Um, and Randy's niece Lays out the rules of a requel, which we've talked about. Uh, but yes, it's not quite a reboot, not quite a sequel. And during this, there is a direct call out to Ryan Johnson, who directed the much maligned Stab Eight in this universe and The Last Jedi, which is the eighth movie of the Skywalker series, which Ryan Johnson actually did. Ryan Johnson actually did direct. There's talk of Mary Sue's and fan fiction. There's a great line where. Dewey says, maybe you're the killer because that cut deep. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Mindy claims that Samantha is not only the the Mary Sue, the main character, she also makes the most sense as the killer. There
1: are so many things that throughout this movie, I was like, this doesn't make sense. This seems unnecessary. What is happening? But we won't get it all into that just yet because I was like the whole like serial killer myth. Because you and I talked about it for a minute. And I was like, yeah, but Bailey wasn't your typical serial killer. He was very much focused on torturing Sydney as a whole. Not necessarily doing a specific thing because he was driven by it. So I was like, this doesn't align to that necessarily. He was just like, sure, he could be triggered and they started things. And who knows if he had been alive? Had he continued? I don't know. But there was a lot of questions in my head. I'm like, so is Sam really susceptible to being a serial killer, too, which is her fear and shame.
0: I think this is awesome because you watch a lot of true crime and it's I watched a lot watch of separate- true crime. There were so <laughs> many things in my head. Thing. I was like, but, but. She was trying to psychoanalyze all the characters. So I'm like, much. I don't think this there is what this, so these much. movies are about. <laughs>
1: Because we'll talk about the ending because I had some some theories about the ending. But okay, here we Mm -hmm. go. So several more deaths follow, all with connections to past murders after Wes and his mother, Judy Hicks, are killed. Which, by the way, bothered me the most in the entire movie, I think. The entire build up to that. I was like, why? This seems so unnecessary. You don't have to kill them. Like, I I get why you're killing. (laughs) I I, I get it. But why? And then Gail is reunited with Dewey. Also, that part about the fact that Judy got murdered on her lawn in broad daylight. After she had mm-hmm. the sirens on and jumped out of her car, like, no one noticed? Okay, <laughs> cool. Anyway, uh, so Gail is reunited with Dewey, and he reveals he just couldn't hack it in New York and left in the middle of the night. It's very sad. Sam realizes no one is protecting her sister and the hospital, and she and Dewey hightail it over there, right? Because all of the cops showed up to... You know, because Judy Hicks was the sheriff, they needed to find out what was happening, came to Mm -hmm. that site, but then it was like, oh no, who's protecting my sister? And Mm -hmm. apparently, you know, no one. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Tara and Richie are attacked, but Sam and Dewey get there in time to save them. But when Dewey goes back to confront the killer, he is murdered with the killer saying, it's an honor. Again, Mm -hmm. I had a lot of issues. I'm like, there's no way this could have happened. I know, willing suspension of disbelief, but I just... Just could not. This is probably why I can't watch stab, like murder, like uh, gory horror movies. I'm like, this doesn't make sense. Physically, this does not make sense. I still hold to that. Mm. This brings Sydney into town and she tries to tell Sam that the killer is not going to stop hunting her even if she leaves Woodsboro, but Sam disagrees and she, Richie and Tara get into the car to book it out of there. However, Tara can't find her inhaler. And yes, it's one of the big things. She has to have her inhaler or she's going to die. So they have to stop at Amber's house, which they're like, oh, yeah, I have one at Amber's house. The friend uh, for her to get her spare one. And so they arrive trying to get this. Of course, there's a party. Mm-hmm. Why? Because there's always a party. Mm-hmm. So Sydney and Gail follow them and they realize that Amber's house was once Stubacher's house where the original Woodsboro bloodbath took place. And yes, you and I talked about the fact that we knew that basement. I was like, this looks familiar because I yeah. started asking about the garage kill when mm-hmm. they were down there. And I was like, huh,
0: yeah. you had to tell
1: me. So yeah. Amber is throwing a party but kicks everyone out when Tara, Sam, and Richie arrive. Chad and Mindy are both attacked by Ghostface and Liv suddenly appears after having left earlier and Amber shoots her in the head Yes, revealing herself to be the killer. Duh, duh, duh. By the way, I guess that <laughs> Richie and Sam flee, and Richie tells Sam he thinks Tara is Amber's accomplice. Sam disagrees and leads him to search for her, finding her tied up in a closet, just as Sydney's dad had been in the first one. And then she hesitates to
0: untie her. Yeah. Um, Meanwhile, Amber shoots and injures Gail. Richie stabs Sam and reveals to her that he is actually Amber's accomplice. I called that one too. (laughs) Mm -mm. Um, They force Sydney and Sam into the kitchen, revealing they are stab movie fans that met on Reddit who are disappointed with stab eight and want to provide new source material to get the franchise back on track, Um, bringing back the original cast with Sam as the killer. However, Sam reveals she untied Tara, and Tara attacks Amber. Sam attacks Richie, and Amber falls on the stove, and Gail shoots her, lighting her on fire. Sam is injured, but manages to get Amber's knife and tells Richie she is introducing a new rule, never f*** with the daughter of a serial killer, and stabs him multiple times, shooting him for good measure. Amber runs at them for a final attack, but is shot by Tara. The Meeks twins and Tara are taken to the hospital, Sam accompanying Tara. Gail decides not to write about the killers and instead to write a book about Dewey. The movie ends with an anchor reporting on the events outside of the house, just like the first one did. And this is one of many, many things where the first one and this one mirror each other. Yeah, And this is yes. where I say, okay, now you've
1: got Sam. If she is truly this... You know, if we were watching Criminal Minds, if she truly <laughs> has whatever serial killer genes, which is kind of what has, she's been upset with, and like, I don't, I don't want to be this person. Like, after stabbing him multiple times, that just opened up the floodgates. So, just saying.
0: <laughs> yes. Well, it's interesting because, as I said, they're, they're already making the next one. And the actor who plays Sam said she wants to explore her dark side. I mean, uh, so, who uh, knows? She began. Well By exploring that dark side. And we're gonna talk about this more because I know I've said it multiple episodes, but her story mirrors that of Ray from the sequel trilogy of Star Wars, who was Palpatine's granddaughter and had like the this like evil genes and heavy quotes, but kind of this history and this pressure perhaps hanging over her to become dark. And she didn't. And I I can't wait to talk about that. It's one of my favorite things about this whole thing. But first, (laughs) I wanted to talk about trauma because one of the things, I know I've said it before, but I watched this movie, the first one, way too young. I watched it when I was nine years old and I loved it. I loved it. Had the soundtrack. I still remember all the songs. And I really loved Sydney. And I love how they have done a good job, in my opinion, with that character and that she's She's funny and smart and capable, but she has this trauma. Like, you see her trauma throughout. And, like, in the third one she's working for, like, she's isolated, and she's working for this, like, mental health hotline. And then the fourth one, she wrote this book, Out of Darkness. And that reminded me of what you were talking about, Samantha, in that episode we kind of did, which is who makes the money off of these tragedies, who gets to tell the story... In the fourth one, she says the reason she did it was she was tired of everyone else telling the story um, and she wanted to take control. She wanted to feel this semblance of control over it. And then, of course, on her first, on her stop at Whisper on the book tour, someone gets murdered and the whole thing. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Of course. And Alison Brie is her agent in that one, by the way. Oh, Um, that's funny. Yeah. I do
1: like talking about the old actors who you're like didn't know at that point in time, and then you come back yes. and revisit and you're like, oh my god, that's so-and-so, and so-and-so. That's my favorite like uh game to play with everyone, because no one really recognizes, and then I'm like, that person wasn't this, that person yes. wasn't that, and the the being like maybe the random character and supernatural mm-hmm. that no one else saw I was like he, they're on for like 15 seconds, but I love it. I'm like, good <laughs> on them. Good on them, they made it. Can
0: confirm Samantha does this. I ha- love it. <laughs>
1: To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect.
0: I was so lucky to watch this in a drive-thru and just have a wonderful viewing experience with it. But the newest one starts out with trivia about the Stab movies, because they always open with, like, what's your favorite scary movie? And then asking these questions. And this one opens with Stab movie trivia, which is like meta within meta. Like it's so, and when she's scrolling, Tara's scrolling through because she's kind of cheating and she's looking on her phone and she's scrolling through the like IMDB page. I was like, oh yeah, (laughs) the cast of Stab. And it's like Heather Graham and David Schwimmer and Luke Wilson, Tori Spelling.
1: (laughs) I remember uh, Luke Wilson. And Mm -hmm. then Jada Pinkett Smith was one of the actual characters in Scream in the second one, correct? Yes. Okay. yes okay i Her, was trying to remember all of that that was that because she was the first death scene second one yeah in the Her second movie first yeah oh okay okay like like they were the two like just yeah. kind of like the drew Barrymore more where they had the big actors and you really think yes. they're going to be a part of the movie and then you're like what
0: yeah and that's i was thinking about that because we were watching this together and we were talking about how brutal the kills are in this new one oh, yeah but i was thinking about the first one and those are pretty brutal. Like, the way Drew Barrymore right. died, that... You won't,
1: but the thing is that they usually, like, pan away and you hear it more so than anything else. Mm-hmm. On the newer stuff, they actually show you, like, the knife going through, so you're like, ah, I wasn't <laughs> ready. I was not ready. <laughs> I, I will say, and then going back to what you were saying about the trauma, I do like the lead-up into, I know you, you, again, love Sydney, the character mm-hmm. of Sydney, and then the fifth one was a nice, like, I don't know if it's a bow-out... As in, like, she might pop up, but it's obvious this is no longer her story. Yeah. But in that, it's kind of where we all are with our trauma. Like, she definitely went through all of the uh, steps, seemingly. Mm-hmm. Um, we never do see her go through therapy, but I hope she did. But, mm-hmm. like, just to the point that of, like, all right, I'm here, I made it, and I'm I'm ready. I will defend who I am and who you are. Let's go.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the things I loved about it, too, because, you know, there is all this commentary on franchises and kind of the issue with franchises that we have talked about also a lot where we can't let these characters go. And I, even if I love a character, I want them, I want them to go be happy. Right, right. I don't want her to. Yes. And I, but I do love how she came back and she gave advice and she was kind of a steady, like, yeah, I'm going to be here for you, but it's not really like about me, right? And which I really appreciate. And also I kind of cracked up now knowing that she did marry Mark from the third one, who was a detective. I can just imagine him being like, are you serious? <laughs> You're going back. <laughs> stop. Please stop going back. Please. <laughs> have we already done this? Uh, I, I can't believe I keep having to tell you. <laughs> Don't go back.
1: And so I'm, yeah, like you were saying that this is becoming a new franchise-ish with the same names. Again, we've seen Mm -hmm. that with so many others, which is kind of that meta talk within Scream. It was Mm -hmm. produced by Kevin Williamson in this one as well. So it was the same producer, uh, new directors, obviously, new writers. And you were telling me that they did this because they loved Scream. And was like, hey, we would like an opportunity to take another shot. Here's this idea. Take another stab. (laughs) And the fact that Kevin Williamson was like, yeah, I'm cool with it. Let's go. And it was in like, it's that in memory of Wes Craven. Mm -hmm. It was interesting to see that. But yeah, I think it's, I can't imagine how this can get stretched out more, but I guess there's been enough time that maybe the the newer generation that have never seen Scream. So they're going to see the newer version and then go back to the old one, maybe.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I I was thinking about that a lot, too, because one of the big fall downs with a lot of horror movies when you adapt them to, like, newer times is we have new technology now, and there's, like, Mm -hmm. all these things that don't work anymore. They even have a joke about that in Scream 4, like, take a drink every time their cell phone mysteriously isn't working. Like, And, yeah, they were huge fans, and it... (sighs) This it's so complicated. They they walked such a fine line because there's very easily this could have gone wrong. And we've seen that go <laughs> that way in a lot of franchises, actually. But they like wrote this letter to Nev Campbell, like, you know, it meant so much to us. Will you please come back? Cause she was kind of like, think I might be done with this. And we talked about how exhausting it is to be in a horror movie, especially for a lot of these scream queens or women. Like it's very physically demanding. And she's been kind of like, I think I might be done with the next one, (laughs) which they did make room for. As you said, they kind of were like, she did her thing, but she was still a background character in it. Right. But yeah, they were huge fans and that makes the dialogue around toxic fandom all the more interesting. Because the implication is that perhaps they didn't like the fourth one. (laughs) Right. Maybe it doesn't mean that at all, but it's just, it's hard not to with a movie so meta Right, that you're kind of like, mm.
1: which yes, uh, I know we're going to talk about a little more in a bit, but the whole like is talking about Star Wars fans. It's like it oh, I don't know what's happening. I don't. I don't know what's happening. And, and by and by the way, I have been drawn into that a little bit because of you, in that I get notifications about arguments. Oh lord, I'm sorry, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like. what? It's happening. And yeah, you kept explaining. I was so excited. You were so excited. The face that you would make, like, do you see?
0: Do you see? <laughs> do you see? <laughs> yes. I was so glad. I'm getting excited just thinking about it. One thing I did want to talk about, and we briefly mentioned this in the Scream Queens one, there's a lot of, in the first one, especially for Sydney, trauma around sex. So that whole thing where with Billy, the he's pressuring her to have sex from Jump in yeah. that movie. And she's very, like, no, we shouldn't. And you can tell she's trying. Like, she feels like she should, that she has to, but she's not comfortable with it. Um, You actually never see her breast, which is a weird thing to talk about, but it's true. In these horror movies, often you do, you don't for her. Right, but she flashes him. We just don't see it. Yeah, we don't see it. But, And I find that, like, the whole conversation around her mother being this slut... And therefore, I guess, deserve to die, in the opinion of a lot of people. And then she's taking that in and seeing, like, her mother died. And people are saying, like, oh, she was promiscuous. And her having this trauma around that. And then sort of being shamed for that. Like, having, can't you get over it? Like, don't you want this? Um, stop being so controlling. Take off your chastity belt. He says something like that. Right. Which is just odd. It feels so. I mean, these are very. They, they're making a commentary on things, but in a lot of ways, they're just kind of like a funny slasher movie. They're like They're not super deep, but that feels very. If she was this, her mother had died and it became this like national story. She's being treated in these movies as if she is a character, a celebrity that you just, right. or like, people feel like they can talk to her in any type of way or treat her any type of way, which is pretty messed up. And that would really mess with your head, I can imagine.
1: Right, right. I mean, that's what we talked about, again, with the two crimes. Like, when we see the stories and it's not, you know, you start seeing them as a character instead of real mm-hmm. people and, and like, Going through the trauma. Of course, Sydney is a character. I know. So it does a whole <laughs> different thing. Again, meta, but it is that <laughs> conversation. And I'm really, and I'm guessing that was part again about the commentary of people's need for true
0: crime. Yeah. And celebrating it, which is the weird party line. Yeah. And I mean, if you haven't seen these movies, like the stab movies within them, people like decorate, they have like Rocky Horror movie level audiences for it. They have Stabathon and the fourth one, like, these big things and, you know, just for a pretty tragic experience that people are treating as entertainment, um, which is kind of the whole thing in this one where the killers were like, we don't like what Stab8 did, so we're going to create something better. Mm -hmm. And so it's like marring that line between life and art. And they have a whole conversation about that in the second one. Because usually, I think In every one, there's a killer, except maybe the third one. There's a killer that's doing it for, like, the art of it. The movie part of it, or the fame of it, which is interesting. I do think there's an interesting thing around women survivors in these, because Sydney and Gail make it through all of them. At the end of this new one, all the people that they show that are still standing, because other people did survive, but that that are still standing, are women. And I was thinking about this because I read an interesting statistic that kind of surprised me that actually more men get killed in slasher movies, which doesn't feel like my experience, but maybe... I don't watch that many slasher movies, honestly. Right, And there are some I like, but... Yeah, <laughs> I wonder if it's because
1: the main victims, as you we talk about when final girls have to be yeah. women. So if she's slutty or she's perceived to be slutty, she has to have a lot of extra men around that get killed and are disposable.
0: So I wonder right. if that's the case. I think that's a part of it. I think also you can always make the argument there are more men around. Yes, that <laughs> um, too. but I, like in the fourth one, I could be wrong, but I feel like like two of the the people who died were men and everyone else was women. It was, I mean, I don't know. That's just something that's been <laughs> in my head because I kind of didn't, I was kind of shocked by that. Um, I did like the, the in the newest one, like Sydney being the expert. There's a lot of jokes about her being the original. You don't with the original and her still being pretty. I don't know. I kind of like her groundedness about it almost. Like, she's still open and she's still trying to, like, help people and comfort people. But she's also clearly tired of it. Like, I don't know. It was...
1: And no, like uh, I said, like, it just became like, oh, this again. I've been through this. (laughs) I'm good.
0: I'm fine. Right. (laughs) Right. And then we've already kind of mentioned this, but I find it really fascinating that these movies were... The killings in these movies were essentially kicked off by the idea that her mom is a slut.
1: Right. Well, we talked about this when we were talking about mothers in general, when it comes to horror and any Mm -hmm. of that genre. And it's always, whether it's protecting someone or they did something wrong or they cursed the family somehow, and it's always the evil thing is the mother or began by the mother. Which, again, you and I have been talking about, that's a theme all around, whether it is a horror movie or not. And Mm -hmm. the stronghold of the mother being the basis of whatever, either trauma or whatever incident or whatever is the next... uh, a plot line to come through, which is interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, not only do you have, you have Sydney's mom, Maureen, who went to Hollywood before all of this happens, went to, like, this room where essentially she got sexually assaulted by big producers in Hollywood. Then, in the words of the killer in the third one, who is her son, that made her a slut, didn't it? And therefore... She was sleeping around in Woodsboro, including with Billy's dad. And that set off, what is it, nine serial killers? I was counting last night. I think it's nine. A lot of serial killers. Right. For this one event. Um, and they're all kind of, it all comes back to her mom, in heavy quotes, being a slut. Right. Which again, it seems like there are a lot of men to blame in this formula. <laughs> right. But we don't, we don't acknowledge that. No, no, it's her fault. Yes. And then in the second one, like the killer is Billy Loomis's mom, as I said, and she even says it's always blame the mother. It's always about blaming the mother. And then Sydney's like, "Well, <laughs> you did. <laughs> you like, literally, literally are been trying behind and now are killing me. <laughs> yeah, you're trying me, kill- to kill
1: me now. So if you hadn't been doing that, maybe
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: you had an argument.
0: <laughs> yeah, but. And again, we're going to come back to this. It's, it's weird because, like I said, Scream 3, I think, is all about Harvey Weinstein. And so if you'd like take the meta one step further, it's like this whole thing was started by him. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Anyway, then there are the rules, which is always a, a key part, a hit in, <laughs> in, in these movies. I, I love all of the rules, laying down the rule scenes. So the old rules were very like no sex, no drugs, no alcohol. Don't say, I'll be back. And it does feel, it's very moralistic and it's very, especially for like, I feel like for women is the having sex one specifically. I could be wrong, but I feel like generally it's sort of viewed as like, women, you don't have sex. Yeah. (laughs) You stay virginal, so you might be able to be this final girl character. And then in the new one, there's a lot of commentary when it comes to the new rules. There's a lot of commentary around fandom and elevated horror. And it feels less... I don't know. It feels less moralistic and more, like, fan culture commentary to me. Um, there is a weird line in the fourth one where they're like, if you're gay, you will survive. And I was like, what? I don't know about that.
1: Is it because the queer community have been excluded from this <laughs> genre
0: in general? So, I don't know. I Like, I'm very... I feel like even if I don't watch a lot of horror movies, a lot of slashers, I'm very... I know a lot of the horror lingo and tropes. I wasn't sure what they were... I'm sure there's something they're referring to, whether it's like, whether it stands up or not. I'm sure there's an actual thing. But yeah, maybe it is that. Maybe it's just there haven't been queer characters. Right. But then the guy... They're caricatures and kind of dismissed. Sure. The, The guy right before he dies in the fourth one is like, but I'm gay. And the killer kills him anyway. uh. (laughs) And you really want me to watch the fourth one, huh? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Only once. (laughs) Um, Something else I've noticed in watching these is there's always a creepy boyfriend character who's acting stalkery to one of the female victims. Like in every one, there's a character where she's like oh, it's Ted again, isn't it? Or, oh, it's Wes again, isn't it? And, like, that's one of the ways they build up the, it could be anybody, everybody's a suspect. But I do think it's, like, interesting and kind of upsetting, again, that this is something we sort of accept as the reality that a woman would have, kind of this stalker boyfriend that Mm -hmm. people are like, it's probably him. right? (laughs) Yeah. And there's one line from the new one that stuck out to me where the killer Richie is sort of commenting on that and he's commenting on the new the new rules and he says, I guess being a sexually available woman is supposed to be empowering these days, which he's a really toxic fanboy. He is. Yeah. Which, not- by the way,
1: I had to point out to you that this was Dennis Quaid and
0: Meg Ryan's yes. son. <laughs> Again, with your your little <laughs> <truity> of it. <bits. laughs> uh, I was like, what? <laughs> um, there's definitely some ableism going on in all of them. Whether it's like, especially around mental health, because I feel like every one of them has a killer who is in heavy quotes mentally unstable. Mm -hmm. And then in this new one, which I find horror movies do this a lot, they have this red herring of, oh, she's taking pills. This might be her, Mm -hmm. which is already like mental health already has a huge stigma on it and that's not helping. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And then, Something else I've been thinking on, I've thought about this a lot because Gail is a very ambitious woman. She is very, very ambitious. It is painted like she's kind of a cold ice queen. And it's a weird thing because she kind of is, but also like she's an ambitious woman. And she really goes far. Like in this new one, she's in New York. She's working on Good Morning America. She really made it. And you know, the implication is she lost kind of these personal connections. But then it's revealed Dewey is the one that left her because he couldn't handle New York and couldn't support her and had to come back to Woodsboro. So I just think that's sort of an interesting part of that too. I don't feel like she's, I don't know. Maybe that's a personal thing. I don't feel like she's villainized.
1: No, I agree with you. As a person who is outside of this frame and you're the original take of who Gel was, even like in the second one, you know, she's building up money and and being kind of seen as an icon, whatever. And this one, she just kind of just is. Like, she's maintained her space. Just kind of like the same as Sydney. All of them have grown up, Mm -hmm. figured out themselves and what they wanted, and gotten to a point that they're happy or at least content. Yeah. uh, And satisfied with what they had. Uh, The one thing we find out is, yes, Dewey is the most unsatisfied. There's so many things that have happened with him, and he just felt like he couldn't be what she needed at that point which could be a conversation about male fragility and even yeah. to the point that he had to prove himself by killing himself as a hero like that's the whole thing like hmm feel like that's a commentary in it but mm-hmm. whatever whatnot um and then yeah like having her come in and be like i don't need this anymore but it took her a long time and it took her to mm-hmm. the point of being the white female who was like yeah but i did get to use it for a long time and i'm okay now mm-hmm. i don't have to
0: yeah, I mean, she certainly... There are things she did that were not great. I'm not saying that at all. Like, she right. used Sydney's story. She definitely was, like, used Dewey's story. Kind of hurt his feelings <laughs> by writing about he was real bad, which he was kind of in her <laughs> fairness to her. I think they did a good job at making her complex, I guess. Like, she had yeah. these flaws. And she also had growth. Like, and she said, like, we could make it work. We could have done it. You didn't have to leave, like... So I thought that was good. And also I I like seeing the evolution of the relationship between her and Sydney, which started out very antagonistic and very catfighty into like a friendship um, Mm. and like a mutual respect.
1: This episode is brought to you by Snagajob job is where America goes to hire
0: with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs, on-demand, temp to hire, part-time, or full-time.
1: You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, job has got a worker for
0: that.
1: To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee
0: sounds perfect. Also, there's the theme of not believing women. I know I've talked about it a million times, but in the second one when she plays Cassandra and she has that whole thing, which if you don't know, Cassandra's this character who's like cursed to see that doom was coming and no one would believe her. Um, but that's, that's prevalent throughout Especially like after people think Sydney's so traumatized, often they just dismiss her. Like you've been through right. a lot. <laughs> so calm down. It's okay. Where she's like, "Yes, I've been through a lot. And I know what this is." <laughs> um, so that's throughout. And then I really like the how it turned out between Tara and Samantha in the new one, where they were kind of playing up. Maybe Tara is the killer. And then they have that scene where Samantha like hesitates in untying her. But then she did. And they kind of rebuild their their sisterhood and their relationship. So I really liked that they did that. And then, yes, toxic fandom. So almost every movie has a fan of horror movies that is the killer. And perhaps particularly is a fan of the stab movies. And yeah, there, there are a lot of references throughout to, to horror movies and horror movies that they love. And there's a line in this new one where the killer, Richie, says, how can fandom be toxic? It's about love. Right. Uh, Meanwhile, they're like killing people. (laughs) Killing people. Right, right, right. Yeah, so that might be toxic right there. Right. But as you said, Samantha, I was very, very excited about this whole Mary Sue, Star Wars connection because they are, it's a very, it's a pretty pointed commentary about Star Wars fandom and Star Wars fans, especially after The Last Jedi um, and Ryan Johnson, I keep I go back and forth between Ryan and Ryan. I apologize. Um, he even commented on it in Knives Out. It was mm. it was such a huge thing, which again he directed The Last Jedi and her. That's why I was happy when he I found out he was in it, which to me means he must have co-signed. Like they asked him, he co-signed on it. He was right. on board because there's a joke in there where Randy's niece, uh, Mindy. Makes fun of Liv for liking the eighth stab because it means you have no taste. Right. So I was confused. I was like, "Well, wait, what are we saying? <laughs> do you hate the last
1: Jedi? Do you like the last?" She Jedi? literally went back and said, "Wait, <laughs> I can't, I can't tell if they're for like being real and really actually mad, or are they just joking? What's right. happening? <laughs> is this tongue in cheek or not? Should I, I be offended or not?" <laughs>
0: embroiled, I was <laughs> so. <laughs> So confused. Um, So the fact that he's involved makes me think that at least it was self-aware that the the toxic fandom backlash to that was terrible. It was awful. And it controlled what happened. It actually did influence what happened in the next Star Wars movie, which a lot of people are including me say it doesn't make sense based on what you did in The Last Jedi. Like they completely, because the backlash was so strong, they did something completely different. Right. Right. Which is what they're talking about in this. With they hated stab eight, so they were trying to make stab Hopefully nine.
1: What is that? What did they call this? This is a recall.
0: Recall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, they wanted to make a recall. But I do love that Samantha's character echoes Ray's character from Star Wars, and Ray. Yeah, she has this like evil thing. They reveal which everybody, pretty much everyone hated. I won't say everybody, but pretty much everyone hated. And then that Palpatine was her grandfather or uncle. Oh, oh, I could get into that, but it's very complicated. Um, (laughs) Well, can I just put in here every time I heard them say, hello,
1: Samantha, in the little phone call, I was like, nope, not a fan of that. Don't like that at all. I know.
0: (laughs) And I was like, ooh, what could I use this for? I would never do it because they always do that in the movie and then they get killed. So I would never do it. Please don't. I oh, would the, the,
1: you would be the one killed or
0: me? It would be me. Okay. No, you, no, you would die, and then I would think you were pranking me because I had pranked you, and then okay. I would die. That's okay. what would happen. Okay. Yeah. It not, would be good let's for not either have of us. This.
1: <laughs> let's not have this. Not that I would want the, uh, any other way, but still, let's not do that.
0: Yes. But I do love, I love at the end when she's like, never f- with the daughter of a serial killer. That's kind of like, it felt to me like saying to Star Wars fans, like, hey, Ray could have gone a whole different way, you guys. Like, right. she could have, like, killed everybody. Right. <laughs> and Kind of, it felt like a weird, cathartic way of giving Ray a moment to just break down and lose it. <laughs> um, This could just be me being a Star Wars fan, but I think that they kind of were leaning into that. Like, like she could have been like this. <laughs> yeah, calm down. This has gone a whole different way. Yes, yes. And then... I'm not going to go too deep into this right now because I think I would like to do a whole episode on this, um, on the portrayal of women villains. Mm -hmm. And I was just, I was kind of like trying to go through all the killers because there's been three women who are killers in these. And I was trying to see if like there was any big difference between when they, when a woman is the killer versus a man. And I, I was like, I feel like they're more kind of emotional or relationship-based, but that's, that didn't turn out to be true, really. So I'm still thinking on it, but I do have a lot of thoughts about women who are killers, but also in these kind of, not just horror movies, but in movies, when a woman is in any way annoying mm-hmm. or a killer or annoying, but any like anything we don't like about her, she doesn't have enough depth, really, that we're very like gleeful when she dies, and usually the death is more violent and dramatic. Right. right. Um, because so you haven't seen the fourth one, but Alison Bree is sort of a similar, like she's really annoying. Oh. Um she's not the killer, but like when she dies, it's sort of like okay. serves sort of her, right? Like right. Um and that's again, that's a wider issue than just these movies and just horror. That I like Jurassic World when the a woman who's taking care of their kids, that's my favorite example. I'm like, this is too much. Like, she was... Right. <laughs> this why she had a right to be a little annoyed by this. Right. I will say uh, like,
1: I am that person to be like, okay, you did that stupid thing. You deserve to die. I did that with a, a dude who was the twin dude who was following her phone. I'm like, yeah. Libra, you're going into the yeah. bushes. You're going to get cut. Yeah, there it goes. Like, he, yeah. he, did, he survived, but I was still like, come on, y'all. Come on, don't do this. Did you feel at any point, this is just a random question, that... Because for a minute it makes you think that Amber is in love with Tara. Yeah, uh, that that it was a bit queer baity. Was that me and my? Because like there's definitely there is a little bit of like queer relationships. The twin sister obviously has an interest mm-hmm. uh, uh, with that girl on the couch. They talked about they're gonna make out at any moment, which is fine. But it felt why did they lean that way to make mm-hmm. her like? Was it to make you be unsuspecting so that you wouldn't think that it was her? But I I figured it out. All that to say, that um, was it her, or was that was that just like an unnecessarily throw in?
0: I I picked up on that too. I thought, and I thought about that because I was like, were they trying to imply she was like this really possessive, perhaps in love with Tara, friend, or is it more like she just really was there when Sam left and has become like really didn't like her. Right. So I definitely see that. And I think her character throughout has moments where you're sort of like, huh? I feel uh, like she was a throw-in. That, that was what
1: threw me off, is because what we didn't talk about earlier in the plot was that she had discovered that she was living in Stu Mocker's home. And mm-hmm. then that pushed her into researching all the stab stuff and falling in like to an obsession to it. And mm-hmm. that's why how she met uh, Richie was trying to research everything and really getting caught up in it. Mm-hmm. But then like, yeah, and the other part is that but the friendship was obviously real because that was one of the longest lasting friendships. I don't even think the twins were really involved as much as mm-hmm. much as Amber was because tw- the twins didn't really know the backstory of why Sam left or what happened between Sa- Sam and Tara, but Amber yeah. did.
0: Yeah. I, well, this is something else I want to talk about when we whenever we do our women villains one is I think You know, a lot of times the woman who is the villain is sort of the, like, support to the male villain. But that's not the case in the second one at all. But, like, I think there's a power element that she really enjoyed. And I feel like in a lot of these movies, like, my skin is crawling just thinking about it. But, like, there's a power element to playing people. Um, Like, they don't know it's you. Ha, 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 ha. So I felt like she was sort of leaning into that but it does like in the last one the killer is one of sydney's cousins as i said and her alibi is like the one i hate the most where it's like i want to be the new sydney but it's kind of that thing where yeah both of them it felt sort of like you're really throwing out under this woman under the bus who's you purportedly care about right
1: there's a whole thing to that too like his age and I, I know this is just me but i cannot handle watching inappropriate ages being hooked together and i hate it i actually mm-hmm. will go to the depth of finding out their real ages to make mm-hmm. sure it was appropriate like i it just cr- gets underneath my skin so badly because mm-hmm. she's supposed to be a teenager 16 maybe right in high school it doesn't oh, seem know. like like they're too much older. They're still in high school, obviously. Mm-hmm. And in my head, it was like 16, maybe 17. And then he's supposed to be in college, if not out of college. And they hooked up, and I'm like, there's a lot to this I don't like. This mm-hmm. makes my... And maybe I'm also at the age of like, if I watch any romance scenes with kids under like 20, I immediately like, nope, uncomfortable, because I shouldn't <laughs> be watching this.
0: Yeah. I mean... Uh- I don't know. Maybe anybody under 30. (laughs) 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 I'll have to rewatch because I kind of was like, they have a weird thing going on, but there's no... mm, No, like, physical romance happening, for sure. Well,
1: they they yell at each other saying, yeah, baby, are you okay? Are you okay, baby? Like, they're obviously...
0: Well, I wonder if he's kind of like a groomer, though. I don't know. Yeah, maybe that's um, supposed to
1: be the conversation, too. I don't know, but it, it was just, it just made me, like, really unsettled. I was like, Mm-mm, not a fan, mm-hmm. not a fan.
0: Well, I mean, that's also, like, a throwback to Samantha's mom, presumably, was much older than Billy Loomis, but I don't know. Oh, wow. I don't know. <laughs> and then, very briefly... I did mention that the first four films are executive produced by Harvey Weinstein. And after all the sexual allegations against him and the closure of the Weinstein company, Spyglass Media Group purchased the rights to the franchise, promising to never make another. Um, That lasted for all of one year. And then they changed Mm -hmm. their mind. Interestingly, Harvey Weinstein wanted them to make the fifth one and end it prior to all the stuff coming out about him. And that kind of surprised me because I would be like, after the third one, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> but i guess he was very comfortable in that he could continue to get away with things but you know we we talked about that in the scream queens one is rose mcgowan a year right. later is when she alleges she was raped by him and then the whole thing with the third one and i know some of the cast and crew have spoken out about it uh so yeah that's a whole thing too uh when it comes to the meta part and and of these movies and like having that in the back of your head when you're watching, especially the third one, but all of them. Right. Yeah. Ooh. Well, uh, that was fun. I had a good time. Yeah. Oh, good. Good. <laughs> yeah. You were so uh, excited. I, it knew be was, talked about. I was, and I could keep going and going, but it's already too long. So I recommend it. If you haven't seen it, I know slasher movies aren't for everybody. So I understand that. But if you're in any way interested, I recommend it. And as always, if you have movie suggestions for us, we would love to get them. You can email us at Stephanie and MomStuff at iHeartMedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast or on Instagram at Stuff I Never Told You. Thanks as always to our super producer, Christina. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff on Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Start planning your trip
1: at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds
0: perfect. This episode is brought to you by Pedigree. If you've been looking for love at first sight, it is closer than you think. It can be found at your local shelter. So this June 7th to 9th, join the Pedigree Adoption Drive